But so if you read the um, biotech literature, and there's kind of interesting literature around this, uh, and I'm, this is from the uh, Mortgage, Mortgage Express, which is the leading uh, player in the market. I'm sure you're all avid readers of B2L, um, their quarterly uh, publication, and they make big things about this as a, a vehicle of social advancement. So we have uh, David Carlyle on the left there, who has a uh, you know, multi-million pound property empire in Bradford. And on the right, we have even greater possibilities of social advancement. Um, the Smeek, the single uh, mum who built a 10 million portfolio in four years. Um, but given her name is Sarah de Gonville Morrison, um, <laughs> I suspect she's not from the Blackford Lees, Lees estate. I could be wrong. Um, so she might have had a bit of a leg. Well, she did, to be fair, she did work for Oxford City Council, but, it, but even so. And of course, the greatest, you know, this is the kind of greatest aspiration for something by the market. Uh, landlords of the manor, they've moved from a terraced house to this moving into their country seat in, a, in the case of about four, uh, four or five years. So the, the thing is, it's an advanced uh, an opportunity for massive uh, social uh, and uh, financial advancement. And I think what, one of the reasons we're interested in this, is we're kind of inspired by some of Paul Langley's work about uh, investor subjects. Uh, and he kind of mentioned buy to let in, in, in some of his work. We thought, well, actually, it's quite interesting to kind of look at buy to let to see how effective it is, but also fits into some of our wider analyses of the financial system. I think one of the interesting things about buy-to-let is that it, what it's done is domesticated the private landlord, and uh, in certain circles anyway, it's made it a socially acceptable and uh, potentially economic rewarding option for uh, financial enrichment. So we're interested in how this links to wider processes of uh, financialization, but also the increasing interpolation of individual subjectivities within the financial system through the vehicle of, uh, of buy-to-let. Okay, so as I, I indicated, the wheels haven't fallen off yet, but um, give it time. So this is kind of what I want to do in the very short time I have. Um, although if I get the conclusions, I'll be doing well, I think. Okay, so what is buy-to-let? Uh, it was a nice definition by uh, Michael Ball, who seems to be the housing economist uh, to the industry. He's kind of picked up to do most things for them. Uh, private investors who purchase residential property using mortgages in order to rent out accommodation to tenants. Up to 6% of UK households are now in buy-to-let properties. It contributes around about £30 million uh, to the UK economy. It's, it constitutes about 50% of the private rented sector, about 1 to 1 1.5 million properties in uh, 2006. Now the origins of it, uh, it go, go back to the problem with, with the private rented sector uh, in general. At the beginning of the 20th century, something like 90% of uh, housing tenure was private rented sector and a constant process of decline over the 20th century um, due to the problem of extracting income from uh, domestic rented property. Because of increasing regulation around uh, renting, it, meant it became increasingly difficult for large investment companies to make money out of it. So there's a gradual transfer of uh, investment away from private renting into the commercial property market, which was unregulated, and so yields were consist consistently higher in that. So as, as investors moved out, it became uh, economically logical for it to be transformed into owner occupation. So it declined to kind of less than 10% of uh, the um, housing tenure by the uh, end of the 70s. The next important moment uh, in the rise of this uh, buy-to-let was the Housing Act in 1988. The Conservatives, when they came to power, they were really concerned by pushing owner occupation and damping down social renting. 
Uh, and it wasn't until 1988 they began to, to think about private, the private rented sector. And what they did was try to sweep away the, 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 the regulations around it. So uh, they made it easier to repossess. Uh, they uh, reduced the minimum lease to six months rather than a year. Um, uh, and uh, they also uh, stopped appeals to fair rent tribunals. So it made it a more flexible and, and, and possible investment. Then in 1996, the Association of Residential Letting Agents, ALA, um, still worried that there, there was demand for property but not enough supply, uh, got together a panel of uh, mortgage lenders and uh, tried to produce this product called buy to, which became known as buy to let And the problem was previous to that, that if you wanted to buy a second property to rent out to, uh, to renters, then you would pay a premium over the prevailing interest rate, say at 2%, 3%. This was an attempt to kind of regulate this, and if you went through an ARLA letting agent, then you could get it at the kind of prevailing rate. The, the, the key for ARLA was then they would generate more business for them, and they would kind of have a management function in terms of this to ensure that the, the rents were paid and so on. This was quite successful, and then other lenders began to move into this without the ARLA stipulation, and so it became a generic category, and other people began to lend. But it reduced the interest rate down. There was no longer a penalty for uh, taking up like that. Uh, mortgages. And then the other thing that uh, pushed this on was the benign macroeconomic conditions of the 90s, this nice decade or Goldilocks decade where you had uh, low uh, inflation, declining interest rates. So you can see there you've got the retail price index going up in the middle, then you've got rents shooting up and you've got interest rates going down, so you've kind of got this possibility for, uh, for yield, for actually generating return. So What's happened to the market? Well, it's grown rapidly. Uh, you can see um, on the, on the left-hand side, their mortgage is outstanding and the, and the increase per annum, 60% you know, rate of increase uh, in the early 2000s. And even last year, in, in 2007, it increased by nearly 30%. Uh, the, first, the figures for 2008 showed <coughs> only increased 10%, but it still increased in the first part of 2008. And in terms of the share of overall mortgages, uh, it's 12% of, uh, of all mortgages uh, made. <coughs> And in terms of the riskiness of this, well, again, in interviews we've been doing so far with, uh, with large lenders, they keep stressing that it's a safer form of lending, as far as they're concerned, than the, than the standard mortgage market. So in terms of arrears, uh, you can see that it's actually lower uh, than all mortgages, but this, this difference is decreasing. So at the beginning of this period, it was a 1.5% uh, rate difference. It's now only 0.3, so it's hardly anything, really, now. And also, if you, you know, in terms of trend, then you can imagine it's becoming more risky. Uh, over time. In terms of uh, maximum loans to value, what they will lend, again this is increased. So it used to be 75%, you'd have to have 25% up, up front to, uh, to put down as deposit. That's been gradually relaxed up to 85% in uh, 2007, although this has crept down on, on average for the industry for 83. But some lenders will now only lend 50% of the value. So you need actually 50% of capital to, to, uh, uh, to buy these properties, which is stop the market uh, in some cases quite uh, quite significantly. And then minimum rent coverage again has fallen, although stagnated, and that will be going back up. These are some of the leading players in the market, um, and you might think, well, these are not necessarily household names, which would be right. They, it was an opportunity for middle-level players to get into, into a new market. Um, most of these have actually been taken over by bigger firms subsequently. So. Um, Mortgage Express is a subsidiary of Bradford Bingley. Uh, Birmingham Midshires is or was part of HBOS. 
uh, Mortgage Works, part of Nationwide, and, and, and so on. So they're kind of specialised divisions, and they've kept their brand names specifically because they also do things like self-certified mortgages and subprime mortgages. So it's a kind of a, it's a, it's a separation of brand, really, so they don't get contaminated. So what's driving this? Uh, well, first of all, securitisation, uh, and in particular, the, the, the ability to uh, offload these mortgages into... Um, uh, into, into capital markets to actually raise the money in the first place and then repackage them up. Um, and the rise in particular of centralised lenders who were, were uh, able to lend without having a retail base. It, it overcame that barrier to entry for, uh, for mortgages. Uh, this originate and distribute model and was extraordinarily successful. So someone like Northern Rock, before it collapsed, was able to capture 20% of the mortgage market while reducing its retail base. Of course, that was the problem when everything went pear-shaped because there were hardly any branches and that kind of drew attention to the fact that people were queuing, you know, big queues out of very few, few branches. But while it worked, it was a successful uh, model. And the second thing is, uh, of course, financialization, um, where in the, in the wake of the retreat of the state, the citizen uh, is increasingly forced to look at the financial system for long-term financial security. And some data here from... Um, survey of English housing, private landlord survey, shows the motivation for owning rented property. And they're using debt as leverage to uh, produce an income stream. So 32% are motivated by getting rental income, 35% by asset appreciation, and 33% by rental income and asset appreciation. But what's interesting about these figures in terms of motivation, only one of those, rental income, is actually what you should be motivated by. Because you should be, you should be able to make a sustainable business model by rental income alone. If you're relying on asset appreciation, then in the long term, this is not a sustainable business model, as lots of people will be finding out, or already finding out shortly. Because most buy-to-let property is secured on interest-only mortgages. They're not repaying the principal, they're just paying the, the interest off. Again, very, I'll go very quickly through these figures, again from the private landlord survey. 74% of private landlords are individuals or partnerships couples. Um, 60 for 63%, letting is a sideline. They have no other property involvement. So you've got this kind of phrase, the, the amateur landlord, uh, which the industry doesn't like uh, because it it's kind of indicates you know, uh, they don't know what they're doing. 70% um, of people see this as, a, as an investment or a, pen, a pension hedge, really, uh, for them. And the length of time people have been in the, in the private rented sector, uh, five years or less, and that's over a third, 49%, 60 Six to 20, uh, 20 years, and I should imagine actually most people are kind of at the bottom end of that. Right, okay, well, very, very, very quickly. Uh, well, the impacts, uh, people have argued that it's um, revived the private rented sector. Not necessarily true. The actual nadir for private rented sector was 1988, and it's just kind of stabilised it, or some recent figures indicate that it's um, re recovering. Arguments, again, that it's improved the quality of stock. Some figures indicate that it's more attractive than social housing, but then you would probably expect that anyway. Um, it's also probably improved, again, from the argument is that it's improved the, um, the image of, uh, of rental. This is a, a from Peter Kemp. You know, private renting, kind of image of damp and squalid, furnished, multi-operate property. It's something that you wouldn't want to be in. You know, it's kind of a badge of failure, really. But uh, again, from interviews, you know, young people don't think like that anymore. They like the flexibility of renting. They, they see housing, housing being a, a burden. Um, and uh, they can live in places they, you know, they couldn't afford to live if they bought. Now, how much of this is kind of voluntary or constrained is a, is a moot point. 
Again, arguments in meeting the demand for rent rented property because of labour market mobility, increasing student numbers, uh, family breakdown, creating problems of studentification in some places. An interesting argument which is becoming increasingly critically important is the way in which buy-to-let lenders are forcing uh, 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 crowding out first-time buyers. And we are a very candid interview with, with one, of, uh, one of our respondents saying, well, you know, I don't think there's any doubt about it. You know, by working for a buy-to-let lender, of course, I can't go out and say that publicly because of the greater leverage that buy-to-let uh, borrowers have in the, exactly the same areas where first-time buyers would be working. Okay, right. Um, there are clear problems with this market, um, and there were problems even before the, the credit crunch, really, and that's because of long-term rises in house prices. That meant if you were getting into the market, then um, your asset is, is, is expensive, you've got to try and uh, make an income from that, so your yield was, was that, the yield was actually falling. Base rate increases since last year has been problematic and a growing oversupply of property. Uh, the credit crunch has, has created a problem of getting access to funding, which has created all kinds of problems with some of the lenders. Paragon, which is an independent firm, has effectively gone into runoff. Uh, it's, it's servicing existing borrowers through rights issues, but it can't, it can't get any more money to, to lend. Bradford and Bingley, which is you know a kind of uh, uh, poster boy in exactly the wrong way for the for the for the industry, is now rated uh, C. Its bonds are rated C by Moody's, which, as Tim will confirm, is not good. Um, uh, borrowers are finding it very difficult to get capital. Reduction in products available, and now asset prices are declining as well. There's, a very, there's an interesting geography to this, which um, I haven't really got time to talk about. It's, it's dominated by London and the South East. Uh, and just to, this map will illustrate it, but in London, over 20% of mortgages in London postcodes are buy-to-let. Um, so it's highly leveraged on particular places and, and the strength of particular housing markets and economies. I haven't got time to talk about that. Right, well, I really must say, I know I'm coming to the end, but I'll... I'll, I'll, I'll there, is, there are important urban variations in this investment as well, and it, it, and it varies between different types of buy-to-let investment. Now, the first type, which is the minority type, is this new build, and this is where the real problems are. This is the kind of classic uh, uh, new build investment, two-bedroom apartment like this uh, uh, building here, which is actually in Nottingham, where we'll be doing some case studies with borrowers uh, shortly. And the attraction for this for borrowers is that you could get a discount off plan, so you would buy it uh, before it was built for 10 to 20% discount. Um, so in a sense, most of these developments were pre-sold even before they started building. So if you, if you kind of thought, well, surely there's probably buy to, buy to let, why are the, all these buildings still going up? That's why, the builders don't care, because they've already been paid. It's the individual investors that have an issue. Uh, but many of these people didn't buy them to buy to let, they bought them to buy to flip or buy to appreciate, um, and they didn't want to get their hands dirty with the actual process of, of renting it out. Now they can't sell them, uh, so they're going to have to try and think about doing that. And this is being facilitated by organisations like this, property clubs, which uh, create a kind of um, a, a sanitised, commoditised way of getting into buy-to-let. You can almost go online to places like your property club, commit money, and you can be set up as a buy-to-let investment. You can even buy packages to fit out your buy-to-let properties with the appropriate kinds of furniture and so on that, w that, you, that you would get. So this, this kind of at a distant landlordism, people often invest in places they've never ever been to. Okay. This is problematic because of overbuild, and Leeds is a particularly good example. 30% uh, vacancy rates, and uh, there's, there's the various criticisms on why that what is there. And then the other side of this is existing stock. Now this is less glamorous in that it's existing property, perhaps a bit knocked about, a bit dilapidated. Uh, you've got a higher maintenance burden than new build. 
necessarily. And also, if you've got uh, houses in multiple occupation, you now have more regulatory complexity in terms of uh, safety. And the difference is that the, these landlords tend to be much more local, much more hands-on. The quote here from one of our interviews, uh, they know everything that's going on. They know if there's a property on the market. They're in and out of those properties. They're kind of up close and personal with the people that they're, uh, that they're renting to. Now, what this has meant is there's been a flight to quality in this market, but not in the sense that you might automatically think. The quality in the sense are precisely these two to three bedroom properties because there are concerns over value and valuation about how much the, this, this kind of fictitious value of these new build will actually be. Um, many borrowers will not lend on new build or will have much lower uh, loan uh, to values. And the, the preference for terrace housing, because with terrace housing, there's a mundane, regular, dependable source of income that you know there's all, probably already somebody in there that you can, you can rent it to. Um, so, well, one of the interesting issues about this is in terms of the complaints from the lenders that um, developers and local authorities have been cahoots to, to let these things through, because clearly there's oversupply. But as I've said, the developers don't care because they've got permission and they've already been paid. But in one sense, the local authorities don't mind either because the, most of these developments are on brownfield sites, so in a sense there's urban regeneration. And for the new build, it may not actually affect their local economy too much in terms of where the investment's coming from because it's coming from a distributed set of investors, that may, many of them in the southeast or even overseas. So you get this in, upgrade of property in urban areas that is almost free for the local area. Of course, there will be a depressing effect on the property market overall and will eventually begin to affect local buy-to-let lenders. But this kind of hands-off, benign attitude is seen to become beneficial for lots of local areas. And the model for this is Canary Wharf. Uh, Canary Wharf was a, the, uh, one of the earliest places for buy-to-let and went through a collapse in the early uh, 1990s, but is now the hottest buy-to-let property market in the UK. And given what's happening in financial markets at the moment, <laughs> um, you know, clearly there's going to be an effect through in terms of that. Um, have I run out of time? Okay, well just, just, just quickly uh, to conclude. Um, no one really knows what's going to happen to this, although most people think it's going to be bad. Apart from the lenders, you still seem to be kind of, you know, with their fingers crossed uh, in the air. Quote here from Moody's about the uncertainty about what's going to happen. And one of the real problems for this is because it's such a new market, it hasn't actually been tested through uh, a market failure. And people in the industry just don't know what's going to happen. They, there are no market verities to turn to in terms of what people are going to do. Um, and one of the, so in terms of the scenarios, one of the, thi one of the things that a lot of the lenders think, well, this is, you know, this is a classic counter-cyclical industry, so we'll be okay. Because as rental prices fall, then new first-time buyers will hold off buying property, and therefore they'll go into rented. But because of all this supply of property coming onto the market, this kind of development cycle that's still going through, um, there's going to be ever more property, and as property uh, declines uh, in value, then you get this, you get this tendency towards slump landlordism, landlordism like you got in the 1990s, where people need to move for various reasons, and they'll just put their hat, you can't sell it, so they'll put it on the market, so you uh, uh, have more stuff uh, available. And there's a prediction of a 10% fall of rental income for, um, uh, for, uh, for this year. Uh, and then finally, in terms of the, the limits of investor subjects, that are, we, we would argue as geographers that these are highly spatially constrained. The ability to do this, um, uh, you know, you can't just do this anywhere. And actually, the, the greatest possibility for doing this is to be 
kind of you know get the dirt under your fingernails, be up close and personal with people in local areas that you know, rather than this long distance uh, form of uh, investment. And uh, this is the uh, this is Amanda de Gonville uh, at this stage enjoying her wealth, uh, but how much longer longer that continues, uh, we don't know. So, thank you.